Good morning. You know, I couldn't help thinking when we're singing here this morning, thinking back to uh, the middle of the pandemic, Dave, when there was about five or six of us in this auditorium on a Sunday morning singing, and this is better. Um, there's a reason why God told us to sing and make melody, and uh, thanks for doing that and doing it so well. It's good to see you this morning. It's always good to see some new faces. It is always good to see some old faces. Um, old as in old friends, not old faces, but uh, Martha and Bill are with us today. But we're glad that you're here uh, with us today. An expectant mother was allowing her four-year-old son to, to kind of put his hands on her stomach so he could feel the baby kick. And the little boy asked, Mom, how's the baby going to get out? And wanting to keep things kind of simple, she said, well, the doctor's going to help with that. His eyes got big and said, you got a doctor in there too? <laughs> now, we all understand one way or another, eventually what's inside us comes out, right? Whether you're talking about expectant mothers, whether you're talking about sweet, kind grandmothers, whether you're, whether you're talking about kind of vindictive, you know, cold-hearted troublemakers, when life collides with us, what's inside of us naturally spills out. Whether it's love or hate, whether it's peace or worry, whether it's patience or bitterness, what's inside of us just spills out. So my question this morning is, why doesn't the Holy Spirit spill out more than he does in the life of Christians? And it might be because, as Christians, we've all received a gift, but maybe we've chosen not to open that gift. I did a little research this past week. You know what the number one Christmas gift has been for the last several years? Gift cards. And it's really not close, because everyone loves to give and receive gift cards, and you know why businesses love to sell gift cards? Because we are so bad at redeeming gift cards. How many of you have a gift card right now in your possession at home somewhere that you haven't yet redeemed? Yeah, almost all of us. The average American family has about $300 in unredeemed gift cards. And what's even more amazing than that, in the past 10 years, listen to this. It is estimated that 41 billion, 41 billion dollars worth of gift cards have gone unredeemed in the past 10 years. That is staggering. People that receive a gift, but they don't receive the blessings of the gift. We're spending a few weeks talking about the Holy Spirit. Last week, we talked about the Holy Spirit as a person, a personality, a member of the Trinity. And I told you last week that most people relate to the Holy Spirit more as to, more as to a force than to a friend. And consequently, because of that, we have a hard time sort of appreciating and recognizing exactly what it is that the Holy Spirit is doing in our lives. This morning... I want to talk about the presence of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the best gift 
ever. The, the presence of the Holy Spirit is the best present you have ever received. But have you experienced the blessings of that gift? I want to go back to a passage that we landed on last week. Uh, it's Jesus talking to his uh, apostles in the upper room the night before that he's betrayed. He's talking to men who have given up everything to be with him. They've left everything, and now he's about to leave. In fact, ten times in three chapters, Jesus tells them, I'm going to leave. And so they're confused, and they're worried, and they're afraid, and they're a little bit sad, but Jesus isn't, because Jesus knows something that they don't know. And Jesus tells them, it's better for you if I do leave, because if I leave, God is going to send the Holy Spirit. John chapter 14, verse 15. If you love me, this is words of Jesus, if you love me, obey my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor who will, be, who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world at large cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you do because, now, now listen to this, he lives with you now and later will be in you. And then just couple verses later, Jesus tells them this, when I am raised to life again, you will know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. I would argue that what we just read is the most anticipated promise in Scripture and the least celebrated promise in the church. The promise of God to dwell with his children. It has always been God's desire to dwell with his children. It's God's great desire. God's great desire is not salvation. That's a means to the end. But his great desire is to have intimate relationship and intimate fellowship with his children, to dwell with his children. And the Bible tells us that at the very beginning, he had that. And the Bible tells us that at the very end, he'll have it again. Before sin entered the picture, after sin is removed from the picture, God is going to have his heart's desire, an intimate fellowship, an intimate relationship with his children. But right now, how does a holy God dwell with an unholy people? And you look back at the Old Testament and you see this tension all the time. You know, in the Old Testament, fairly often, quite often, God is portrayed as someone who is pretty unapproachable. Now you think about Solomon dedicating the temple. Fire comes down from heaven at the dedication of the temple. And the glory of the Lord fills the temple, fills the place called the Holy of Holies. And they put a curtain up there because you couldn't go in there. An unholy person could not go into the presence of God. It wasn't dangerous. It was dangerous for someone to go into the presence of God. Now, the Old Testament does talk about God coming and visiting His people from time to time. But consistently, His people would choose sinning over dwelling. So God would come and visit, but He didn't dwell with His people. Then Jesus shows up. 
And he promises something completely different. He says, he has been with you, and now he will be in you. No other teacher, no other rabbi ever promised something like that concerning God. How is that possible? How is that going to be accomplished? Well, remember what Jesus does right after he makes this promise. He's going to go to the cross. He's going to die on a cross. He's going to be raised from a tomb. But you remember, when he died on that cross, remember what happened? That curtain was torn in two, from the top to the bottom. And the presence of God, the access to God, is now available to everyone because of the sacrifice of Jesus. The death of Jesus opens that up for us. The blood of Christ cleanses us, washes us. He's going to impart His perfect righteousness to us. That's why Paul would write in 2 Corinthians 5, God made Him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Through His death, through His resurrection, Jesus enables us to be worthy, to be in the presence of a holy God. And that's what Jesus is talking about when he says, it's better for you if I leave and the Holy Spirit comes because of what he did on the cross, because of what he accomplished, the empty tomb, to declare us good enough to have that intimate relationship with God the Father. So the book of Acts opens with the followers of Jesus doing what he asked them to do, wait and pray. And we read in Acts chapter 2, the beginning of that chapter, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. It's not just the apostles, but, but each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. This is, this is really, really big. I mean, this is huge. Now, we don't recognize it as being so big because we're so, I guess, used to the concept. But this is huge. God's Spirit coming upon His people. This is God's desire. You know, we, we celebrate the birth of Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. And then we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus on Easter God is for us. Maybe we should celebrate Pentecost. God is in us. The most important gift you will ever receive isn't an institution. It's not a book. The most important gift we'll ever receive is the indwelling of the Spirit of God in our lives. That's what Paul's talking about in the book of Titus. When he said he saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified, justified by grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. And this was actually one of the focuses of the very first gospel sermon. We're washed in the blood. We are born of the Spirit. 
Acts chapter 2, the sermon that Peter preaches. Peter doesn't say, Jesus is going to take us to heaven. What Peter says is, Jesus is sending heaven to us. And so he closes his sermon this way. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And what happens when your sins are forgiven? What happens when, because of the blood of Jesus, you are made holy? And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then he adds this promise. This promise, the forgiveness of sins, the gift of the Holy Spirit, this promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. If the Lord your God has called you, that promise is for you. Now, Peter claims that Jesus isn't going to pick and choose some special people for this gift. It's for everybody. If you've repented of your sins, if you've been baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of those sins, you receive the indwelling of God's Spirit. Paul tells us, in fact, if you don't have the Spirit of Christ, you don't even belong to Christ. That's why in the book of Acts, every time you see someone who claims that they belong to Christ but they don't have the Holy Spirit, that's a showstopper. I mean, that has to be taken care of. That has to be dealt with. Something's wrong. Because it's God's desire to dwell intimately with His children for the Spirit to be in His people, which backs me up to my original question. Why isn't the Holy Spirit spilling out of us more often? And again... I'm convinced it's because we're not taking advantage of the gift that we've been given. We are not allowing God's Spirit to fill us. And Paul talks about that quite a bit. Ephesians chapter 5, talking to Christians. So be careful how you live, not as fools, but as those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity for doing good in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly. But try to understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Instead, let the Holy Spirit fill and control you. Paul says, don't live under the influence of alcohol. It'll ruin your life. Live under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Allow the Holy Spirit to fill and to control you. Back in this same book, chapter 1 of Ephesians, uh, Paul tells these same people that they had been sealed with the Holy Spirit, verse 13 of chapter 1. So here Paul is identifying people who have already received the Holy Spirit. He says, you have the Holy Spirit. And then in the fifth chapter he says, now you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You need to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. Paul is telling us that the filling, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit does not guarantee the filling of the Holy Spirit. The indwelling of the Spirit doesn't guarantee the filling of the Holy Spirit. Because life and circumstances and sin and all that kind of stuff gets in the way and it sort of drains our filling. 
So in Acts chapter 2, those believers receive the Spirit of God. They start preaching Jesus, and things start getting a little bit hard. Things start getting tough. They get arrested. They get threatened. And you get to Acts chapter 4, and they're praying for more courage. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the Word of God boldly. Again, these are people who had already received the Holy Spirit. Now they are filled with the Holy Spirit. We all have been given a gift. God wants us to experience the fullness of that gift. But sadly, too many Christians have the gift, but they never unwrap it. Never experience the blessings that come with the gift. So by the time you get to Acts chapter 6, there is a problem involving the feeding of some widows. And the apostles know that it's their job to be teaching and preaching and, and devoting themselves to prayer. So they give these instructions. Now look around among yourselves, brothers, and select seven men who are well-respected and are full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. Side note, which isn't really a part of the sermon, I don't think there should ever be a ministry that isn't headed by someone who's not full of the Holy Spirit. I think to ask someone to be in charge of a ministry that's not full of the Holy Spirit is a recipe for disaster. But the apostles say, look around and find some men who are respected and who are full of the Holy Spirit, which implies some aren't. And he's saying, the apostles are saying, find the ones who are. So it comes back again to us. Are we allowing the Holy Spirit to fill us? Or are we just holding on to a gift and refusing to unwrap the gift? Paul says, be filled with the Spirit. It's a present tense verb, by the way. Be filled. Live your life continually being filled. It's not a one-time thing. You can't live next week on last week's filling. We need to constantly be renewing, refreshing ourselves in the Holy Spirit. Because remember, Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit was going to help us. He's coming as, as a counselor, a comforter, an advocate, a, a helper to help us live our lives more like Jesus. And you know what? And I don't have to tell you this, but I'll tell you anyways. When you see someone who is filled with the Holy Spirit, you can tell. You know it. It does. The Holy Spirit does spill out of them. Well, how can you tell? Because those are the people who are graceful and thankful and peaceful and joyful. And when life collides with them, that's just what spills out. That's what you see. Little girl left church one Sunday and told her mom, I did not understand that sermon today. Her mom said, well, what was it that was so confusing? She said, well, the preacher said that God is bigger than us. And the mother said, yeah, that's right. And then the preacher said that, that God lives within us. She said, yeah, that's right. Little girl said, well, if God is bigger than us and he's living within us, wouldn't God be busting out all the time? 
And see, I would argue that little girl understood the sermon perfectly. That's exactly true. The Holy Spirit should be busting out of us all the time. Here's the amazing reality. This, this is like a blow-your-mind moment. And again, we don't appreciate it, but it is. God chose to put His Spirit in you. That is amazing. God chose to put the Holy Spirit in you. And what's almost as amazing, He allows us to decide if we're going to be filled with that Spirit. He gives us that dignity of choice. If we're going to open that gift, if we're going to experience the fullness of that gift. Because many of us have places in our lives where the Holy Spirit's not welcome. I know this is a little bit challenging subject. We don't talk about the Holy Spirit very often, maybe a little more meat than milk, but I'm convinced it's, it's, it's not an understanding problem as much as it is a surrender problem. It's not that we can't figure it out. We just don't really want to surrender. Because most of us, there are rooms in our lives where the Holy Spirit's locked out. There are places in our lives where we say, you know, you can't go in that room. But of course, he wants the whole house, not just the guest room. That's why Paul would say in Galatians chapter 5, verse 25, if we are living now by the Holy Spirit, let us follow the Holy Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Listen, you are either going to be full of God or you're going to be full of yourself. And I will tell you the latter is very unfulfilling. Let me close by, by speaking to those of you who do not have the Spirit of God living in you right now. And the reason why you don't is you're not a fit temple for the presence of God, and you never will be until you're cleansed by the blood of Jesus. So you need to claim Jesus as your Savior. You need to repent of your sins. Confess Jesus as, as Lord of your life. You need to be baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And the promise of Scripture is that when you do that, God will forgive those sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will abide in you. And that promise is for your kids. And that promise is for everybody whom the Lord our God will call. And by the way, if you've never done that, you need to think seriously about why you've never done that. I would encourage you to do that sooner than later. And I'll say this to the rest of us. Probably most of us in this room, you have repented of your sins. You have claimed Jesus as your Lord. You were baptized into Christ. But maybe there's really no noticeable difference between you and your next door neighbor when it comes to your spiritual life. Maybe there's nothing in your life that's really explainable apart from the Holy Spirit. If that's the case, and you can only answer that for yourself, but if that's the case, you need to ask yourself the question, have I truly opened the gift?
Am I truly allowing God's Spirit to fill me? And I'm not asking that to make you feel guilty. I just want to remind you that God wants the best for His children. He wants you to have it all. He wants you to have the fullness of the Spirit. He's asking for you to surrender. He's asking for you to be honest. You know, God, that room where, where all that lust lives, I've locked that away from you. That room where I keep all my bitterness, all my pride, all my anger. I haven't let you in that room where I keep my temper. But again, he's asking for the whole house, not just the guest room. God's desire is to dwell with his people. He is offering the gift of the Holy Spirit for those who repent and are baptized for the forgiveness of their sins. If you are a child of God, you have the Holy Spirit. The question is, does the Holy Spirit have you? We've got a song that we're going to sing as a song of encouragement this morning. As a church family, if we can help you in any way, something on your heart that you need to be praying about, uh, that you trust us to pray about, uh, maybe today's the day you say, you know what, I've, I've never claimed Jesus as my Lord. Uh, we want to help you with that as well. Let's go ahead and be standing and we'll sing.